Welcome to the Fire and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow. I believe in taking massive, inspired action from an awakened soul. This show is a weekly dose of spiritual principles, personal development, and success strategies for creating an epically aligned life. Here's to your wildest dreams coming true with less hustle, grit and grind, more flow, ease, and grace. I'm the founder of the Live Video Mastery Academy, a TV host, speaker, best-selling author, and proud fur mama, and I'll be sharing real talks with successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, best-selling authors, spiritual luminaries, and high-performance experts in this unfiltered, transformational, and soul-centered podcast. Things are about to get real. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Fire and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrell, and I am so excited that you're here today and very grateful for your time. Before we dive into my epic guest, who's also a dear friend, I wanted to let you know that it is last call. (laughs) My podcast producer, Ginny and I, and everyone over there at Ginny Media that produces this show behind the scenes, we are putting on the first ever one-of-a-kind full-service podcast accelerator program. So if you have a calling to have your own show, to really put your own unique one-of-a-kind voice out there into the world, we are going to turn you into the purposeful podcaster that you were meant to be. And this is done through our six-week program that kicks off Wednesday night. So that is Wednesday, March 11th. There's still time to enroll. You can check out all the information and register for our last, last few spots in the show resources called the Podcast Accelerator. You can check it out there. And then if you want more information, we're also going to put up the replay of the open house slash webinar that we put on about 10 days ago. And that's where a good 50, 60% of our Podcast Accelerator members signed up. And there's a lot of questions that get asked during that open house from all the attendees that I believe would cover probably any other question that you might have. You can just get a sense of me and Jenny and the program and what it can do for you. It is a truly unique program. We're doing something that no other program like it is doing in the marketplace. And that is that we're not only going to give you all the tools and resources to help you become a badass podcaster with purpose and high integrity, but also we're going to take you from concept. So literally coming up with the idea of your show all the way through editing your very first episode and launching your show onto all the major podcast players out there in the world. So imagine your podcast goes live by April 22nd at the end of our, of our six week course and you're on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, CastBox and all the other major players. It's a phenomenal program and I'm really honored to bring it to you and excited because this is full service and it is uh, very hands-on, which is why we can't take a ton of people through it because we work with you every step of the way. So if this is something that intrigues you or inspires you or interests you at all, then by all means, head on over to the show resources at fireandsoulpodcast.com. And under this episode, you will see a link that says the podcast accelerator. You can get more information and register there. Or of course, you can watch the open house replay under a separate link that'll be called podcast accelerator open house replay. 
And that is something that I would just be so honored to have you be a part of. In fact, there's a few people that have been listening to this podcast for a while that joined the program and uh, we haven't even met yet. And that's going to be an exciting thing to come full circle and to work collaboratively together as a team as we all go through this journey together. It's going to be an epic experience and I'd love to have you be a part of it. My guest today is really special. I met Tracy O'Malley at a speaking event back in 2018 and you know, I didn't know much about her story and we talk about her story definitely in this in this conversation, but it was getting to to meet her in person and I felt like my soul met her before any of the story was necessary, before the resume, before the website, right? And there was a resonance and I just felt like we connected and it was something that she also felt and we were just like, yeah, we're going to be friends. And so to come full circle a year and a half later or maybe 14 months later, and to have her on the show is really special for me. She is just incredible. She's a woman who's taken herself from rock bottom on several occasions. We're talking near-death experiences, ending marriage, her marriage, coming from a family of alcoholism, and just a lot of stress, anxiety, and distress. The fact that she's been able to build now a multi-million dollar business, she's completely self-made and that she's just the sought after business coach and speaker, not only in the corporate environment, but for people like me and you is a woman who is on a mission and she wants to help all of us excel in life in every area, unapologetically and with grace. She's the queen of tough love with a whole lot of love. And this conversation really has a theme around, of course, not missing the miracles in life, but that gateway is through self-awareness. And you'll listen to key moments throughout this conversation where Tracy was brave and willing enough to listen to the whispers the nudge, the calling that I believe we all get frequently and regularly, but there's only a brave few that listen and then follow that charge. And what it leads to is a life on purpose, a life of meaning and a life with a mission. And that's who Tracy O'Malley is. And I feel really honored to bring this conversation to you because no matter where you are in life, whether you are looking to enhance and optimize your health, your business, your financial situation, your personal relationships, or really getting in alignment with what you know you're here for, but haven't yet found the courage outside of that comfort zone that would require you to step forward through inspired action, which of course is what the show is all about. That's what she really helps to inspire within each and every person that I know will be listening to this conversation today. So without further ado, please enjoy this beautiful conversation with a gorgeous soul, Tracy O'Malley. Hey, Tracy, I'm so glad that you're on the show. Welcome to Fire and Soul. I am so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having me on on your show. And I'm just so grateful. This is like how we need to hang out these days. It's like, you know what? We won't necessarily get to spend as much quality time in person. So let's just like podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We were chatting right before I hit record, you guys, and and Tracy was saying there's several things that were like, oh my God, that's so good. I'm like, stop, save it. I want my listeners to hear it. You were talking about how you you built your first millions because as I was going through your website, you know, we met at, let me just back up. We met at the Mommy Millionaire event back in 2018 where we were both honored to be speakers. I immediately fell in love with your vibe and energy before you ever hit the stage. There was a sense about your sense of your groundedness and authenticity 
that my soul recognized. And I was like, I want to know her. As we chatted about this on your podcast, it seems that it was very mutual. We've come full circle. We're here now. But it's so funny how when you meet soul to soul, you don't really know the resume and it doesn't even matter. So as I was prepping to have you on the show, I was like, oh, wait, what does she do? (laughs) And wait, how did she build it? And where is she going next? So I want to just back it up a little bit, because if you go to your website, it says multimillionaire, all these beautiful things that you've created, 100,000 people that work for you and your organization and that you collaborate with. Let's back it up a little, a little story there, the transformation that woke you up, where you are now, and then really what we want to get into, which is all around self-awareness and what that means for ourselves, our families, our lives, and of course, our loved ones and the impact that we want to make. But I'd love for you, yeah, to just a little 411 on the last many years of your life and business and anything you want to share that would catch us up to speed. You know, it's so interesting that you say that, you know, in the world of like even websites and Instagram and social media, we see the glory, but we don't know the story behind it. You know, when people meet me today, I'm like, oh, you don't even know. Hmm. Like, you don't even know. Like, I'm literally probably on Tracy 4.0 at this point. (laughs) I'm pushing 50, which is amazing to me. And, you know, if you had told me a decade ago, this is where I would be, I would have pretty much laughed at you. You know, I grew up in a really toxic environment. I'm Mm. raised by alcoholic dad and an emotionally checked out mom. So at the age of four, I pretty much took on the role of surrogate spouse and mother. And, you know, perfectionism and overachieving and, you know, a whole slew of trauma before Mm -hmm. the age of 10. And, you know, I just kind of went in autopilot most of my life, becoming the chameleon, not only to be safe, but to be accepted, approved, loved, all the things. Mm. And I really believed that when the time came, when it was time for me to start my own family, if I just got the heck out of there and set up shop, you know, 3,000 miles away, that, you know, I could wipe my hands clean of that and do it so different. And so at the age of 21, I ended up married. And like a good Irish girl does, I had back-to-back Irish twins. And Mm -hmm. by the age of 25, I was a wife and mother of two. And everything was fine. Fine. In air quotes, you know, feeling fine. Everything is fine. You know, that episode of Friends where Ross is like, it's fine. (laughs) You know, feelings inside, not expressed is what fine means to me. And yeah, when my daughter turned four, so I was 28 years old, I will never forget the moment that I looked into her eyes and I was terrified and I was enraged because all of a sudden those memories of me at four came flooding back and it was like, how the hell did they put that beautiful little girl that I was in that position? Because here, my own daughter was like this free spirited, happy being a kid, you know, like how it should be. Right. And I didn't have that. And it was at that moment that I realized looking into her eyes that I didn't know how to show her a different way. Mm. All I knew was what I knew. And even though I didn't want to show her that, that's all I knew. But I didn't have the toolbox. I didn't have the resources. Clearly wasn't going back to my lineage to ask them for advice because that pattern had been repeated for generations. And so at the age of 28 is when I first started kind of dabbling and seeking out like a different way. I wish I could say I got it right then. You know, but those old patterns are strong and the old belief system 
would try to keep me safe all the time. Like, that's scary. We know one way and this is how we do it, right? And in the generation that I grew up in, it's like, do as I say, not as I do. You're better seen than heard. And so my soul was calling for what God had for me. But the internal messaging and dialogue was trying to yank me back into the into the quicksand, right? Mm-hmm. And there were years that it would be that. And I, of course, you know, a recession hits, a divorce hits, financial stuff hits, sharing a business with your spouse hits. Like it was like the perfect storm a decade ago, almost exactly a decade ago. I was at ground zero with all of that. And like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? And it still wasn't enough for me to really make a concrete change. And then eight years ago was the wake me up moment, right? I realized how life short is literally when it came and smacked me upside the head with a two by four. And it was the summer of 2012. And I got a call saying, you know what? I've been diagnosed with cancer. They haven't given me much time. And 12 days later, my dad was gone. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And you know, my dad is one of the most influential people in my life, obviously. And yes, he was an alcoholic and he was probably one of the greatest teachers of all the great things I am too, right? And so there's always been this battle of like, you know, I have these tendencies, these really bad tendencies from him because I, you know, have been sober now almost eight years. I had an issue with it. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I also have- Congratulations, like, that's huge. It's everything. It's everything. It's everything. And what I've done is not possible without that. But it was him dying that it was like this ground zero moment. Like, okay, I am literally going to repeat this pattern for my own kids who are now teenagers at this moment because I was seeing it play out in them. You know, some of the same behaviors and, and things with both of them. And I knew that the only way to stop the cycle, to stop those generational patterns was if I did something different, not just spoke something different, but did something different. And the only way was to pretty much level everything and start from scratch. And I, I really wiped out everything in my life except my two children. I wiped out my career, walked into my boss's office and said, I can't do this another day. I was the sole provider financially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. I wiped out all my friendships because you know what? Environment stronger than willpower. Oh, yes, it is. That's a Wayne Dyer quote. Yeah. Hold on one second. What business were you in before you wiped it out? Yeah, I was in the car industry for 15 years. I had my own company for a while when I was married and, you know, that took a crap after about 10 years and working with your ex-husband is not ideal. You know, some bad decisions, some situational things happen. And so then I ended up in the corporate end of the car industry as a high level executive. And so basically, you know, a woman in the car industry who's really great at what she does is a, does is a super hot commodity. The ratio is about a thousand to one. Right. And I was great at what I did, but it was the most soul sucking journey and it accelerated my spiral, which is a blessing today. I see it as that today. But it was every day I felt like I was checking my soul at the door as I slipped on my pencil skirt and five-inch heels and basically was walking into an environment every day where I was being eye-fucked and, you know, the what have you done for me lately kind of thing. It was very volatile and very toxic and I could play that part very well. Now, when did you know, though, that you were checking your soul at the door? Great phrase and such a strong, powerful metaphor. 
how far into it were you? If you're a high level executive, you're making cash too. Plus you're a single mom and a sole provider. So it's a catch 22 for so many people unconscious. So, but when did you get conscious to at least the fact that you knew you were selling your soul to the devil? The day I started that job, the day day I walked in, but like you just said, I was a single mom. It was all on me and I had to do it. And I know there's so many of you out there listening right now that are mamas and the burden is on you. And, and I took that burden so seriously. Like I I wasn't a martyr about it, but I also knew that there were going to have to be coping mechanisms for me to get through checking my soul at the door. And so Mm -hmm. my alcohol consumption, like rapid pace, I wasn't, you know, a big heavy drinker. And all of a sudden I was, I wasn't a power hungry girl. And all of a sudden it was like at the front line, like I was out to intimidate and, and just power through anybody that got in my way as a source of coping with the souls checked. Yeah. I I just got to do what I got to do. And it only took two and a half years for it to really, you know, nosedive completely. And I'm so grateful for that as hard as it was and as humiliating as it was and Mm -hmm. humbling as it was. um, It was the biggest blessing of my life. What was the moment two and a half years in where you woke up and then there was just no turning back? How would you define that or describe it? Honestly, it was about six weeks before I got the call about my dad. Mm. I I mean, it's not surprising to me, but the company that I worked for, the owner of the place was grooming me to run this entire place, Mm -hmm. which is the last thing I wanted, but my ego really loved it. Of course. My ego freaking loved it. And so he sent me off to this leadership retreat thing out in the middle of nowhere. It was me and 13 other people who knew of nothing of me. No other people that I worked with were going to be there. And all of a sudden, I remember everybody going around the room and explaining why they were there. And they were all excited to go back to their jobs and perform. And I was the last one to go. And it was in this moment, Michelle, that I knew. It was, it was oh my gosh, it was Cinco de Mayo weekend of 2012. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking around the room and it was the first time I was ever completely transparent Mm -hmm. ever. Oh, wow. And I said, you know, I feel somewhat guilty because I know why I was sent here. I was sent here to do great things in that company. I said, but I know I'm here to find my exit plan. Oh, wow. And six weeks later, you know, and then I go back to that environment and I don't know how to do an exit plan because all the responsibility. Six weeks later, dad dies. Six weeks later, I decide to take it all down and I go to rehab and I walk away from the career. I walk in the boss's office. I say, if I stay here one more day, I will die. I I went home that night and sat my 14 and 15 year old at the time down and said, I want a better life for you. Mm. And with the tools I have, I don't know another way. So I'm going to get another way for us. Mm. And my 14 year old son looked at me and of course they've been angry. I was full of empty promises, right? I mean, I provided but I was an asshole a lot of the times. Mm. And my son looked me dead in the eyes and said, mom, I will give you up for 30 days to have you the rest of our life. (laughs) Like that's a come to Jesus moment. Like, okay, shit just got very real. And, and so I walked into the door rehab and the first thing I heard was only 2% of you are going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so of course, smart ass me is looking around the room and doing some quick math. And the very first words I said, as I entered rehab is none of you are going to make it because I'm the 2%. Mm -hmm. And you know, that was almost eight years ago. So you leave rehab. Where were you by the way, when this was going on? 
Are you in Arizona the whole time? Yep. I'm in Arizona the whole time. I'm in a very toxic relationship still with a guy who is very, I mean, he was the spitting image of my father. He was a very high functioning alcoholic, Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. You know, I, there was conditional love or so I thought. And, you know, I, I had to humble myself enough to say, I can't do this on my own. And I remember him saying, well, don't do it for me. And I had to really check myself because for a split second, part of me was going to keep him. Mm. And, and I said, yeah, no, like it was that look in the mirror, take an inventory. I said, no, regardless if I come home and the house is wiped out, I'm doing this for me and for them. And so I walked in not knowing what I would come home to. What did you come home to? I came home to pretty much what I left, except there was about an inch of dust on everything. <laughs> and we basically lived a very violent scene of the movie, The Breakup. You know, we resided under the same roof for the next few months. I didn't know another way yet. I knew I needed to end this, but I didn't really, you know, I still had the old programming that I had with my dad was I need to be as close to perfect as possible to earn his love. Like my dynamic with men at the time was always just be the chameleon. Whatever they need me to be is how I have worth. Which is so the antithesis of who you were operating totally. on at work, right? No wonder you were like having mm -hmm. to deal with such intense coping mechanisms. You had internal conflict. All the time. Oh. All the time. Yeah. And I wish I could say I had the courage to just say I deserve better. It required for me to get the clear message. It had a very violent ending that put me in a hospital. And so physical abuse not a physical abuse. It was a, a moment that I got knocked out of the way and ended up in the hospital. Mm. You know, he wasn't a physical abusive man, but it was a moment that should never have happened. But it was a blessing because it was like this, another come to Jesus moment. Like, okay, this, this can't continue. Because if I stay here, just like if I stayed in that career, if I stay here, I'm going to go back to what I know right? Yeah. That's what we do. We go back to what we know, even if it's not what we like in our soul want. Yeah. And that conditioning was so strong. So I think it needed to end that way for me to have the clear message that that part of the story is over. And as the dust flew out of the driveway, as he pulled out and I never saw him again, I remember turning and looking at my kids like they're scared, bracing for impact because they know my coping mechanisms when my heart's hurting. Mm. And, and I turned and looked at them and I said, my heart is breaking right now mm. and we are going to be more than okay. Yeah. We are going to be more than okay. I don't know how, I don't know how, but I knew, I do know why I got this and I got you and I'm going to be okay. And so are you. And ironically, it was at that moment that, you know, I was still unemployed, but had just started in a network marketing company, literally less than a month earlier mm. when this all happened. How did you get involved with Hispanics? It's so crazy because I had picked up my six-month sobriety chip that morning and a girl I had known and worked with at one point in my life, she was, you know, all happy and looking fantastic. And, you know, I still had residual kind of health stuff from, you know, an unhealthy, toxic life, drinking and eating disorders and all the things of the past. And I felt like a truck had hit me. So I saw her. I'm like, whatever that is, I need some of that. Now just give me it and leave me alone. <laughs> right. Don't try to sell it to me. No, I had no idea. Right. I had no idea. And I was about a week in and I was like, what the hell is this shit? So I didn't even ask her. I didn't even know it was network marketing, to be honest with you. And so I start Googling the company 
And all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, it's one of those things. Like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But six months earlier, when I was on that airplane, going to see my dad, hopefully making it before he passed away, I had a moment with God that was like, I was unconsolable. I had ugly snot bubbles coming out of my nose. I was angry, not because my dad was dying, because that was inevitable. But I was so angry. I was in a position working somewhere where I had to be there because more than half my income was commission. I was so angry that when the call came, I couldn't just up and go. I was Mm -hmm. so angry that because I was so good at what I did, Mm -hmm. they're like, you can go, but we need you to come back right away. And I had this moment on that airplane and I was like, God, please, I know you have put greatness in me. I know I have leadership skills in me that are destined to do something amazing in this world. Put an opportunity in front of me and I will do it. Mm. And six months later, I'm Googling isogenics. I'm like, that's not what I meant, God. That is not it. That's not what I meant because I have just cleared out my entire social network. This is a network marketing thing. I'm that single mom that went to rehab. Join my team, right? They're going to be busting <laughs> down the door to join me. because And I've got no friends anymore because I've got vacancies because I let go of the ones that were toxic. I'm taking applications for new friends. I can't do this. And God just spoke into me. He's like, I've prepared you for a time like this. Mm. And this is what all, like it all mattered. All of that stuff for the last 40 years has mattered for this moment right here, right now. And so I was like, okay, like this was the true surrender. I've surrendered a few times over the last six months. Like this is like full faith. And I knew that I was going to do it differently. I was going to be vulnerable and transparent, which I had never publicly done. Wearing the mask. I was the mask queen. And I knew that if I just came from a place of love, service, and caring that, you know, Zig Ziglar says you help enough people get what they want, I inevitably would have what I wanted. And when I was in rehab, my therapist, who I still see today, made me take this Enneagram test. And I was, of course, like kicking and screaming, like, I am not taking that thing. Don't put me in a box. And she's like, for those who don't know what an Enneagram is, including yours truly, mm. can you break that down for us? It's a personality tool, I like to call it. It's very trendy right now, which is good and not so good because it's used not great. It's a tool to really understand yourself at a core level, really make sense of like where you go under stress, where you go, you know, when you're happy and growing, all these different things that are innate to you. Of course, I didn't want to do it. And she's like, Trace, let's just be honest. Your best thinking has gotten you here. So how about we be open to this? I'm like, touche. You know, she said, this will not put you in another box. You've been put in a box your whole life Mm. by yourself and by others. This Mm. will actually help you get out of it if you're open. Mm. So I was like, okay. And so it was understanding that. And when I was reading about my personality, which was spot on, instead of beating myself up and going down like into the shame cave, which I had for 40 years, all of a sudden I could look at that with eyes of compassion Mm -hmm. and love because I realized that was just that four-year-old girl driving the bus this whole Mm -hmm. time. And every time I would go into shame, that was basically doing to her what was done to her all over and over and over again. And I said, not on my watch ever again. And so I used that Enneagram as a tool. And then, you know, through the 30 days in rehab, as I was exploring myself even more, and then I was realizing, okay, this personality is neither one of my children. So let me figure out what they are. And as I read mine and theirs, it was no wonder 
that the way that I communicated with them wasn't landing on their heart the way that I intended. Mm. And I was like, okay, I need to speak their language and I don't need to be right. I need to be effective. And, you know, by the time I got home, I had had enough tools and because I was relentless about learning this about myself first. You know, I had to lead myself first before I could lead my household properly. And then I was speaking their language. They're two very different kids as well. And overnight, things changed. Wow. Overnight, even in the, this guy walking out on us and even in not knowing financially how I was going to pull it off and even in them being teenagers, which is crazy anyway. And it shifted everything overnight just using this tool. So six months later, when I'm starting network marketing... And understanding if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to leverage every human being I talk to because I don't have any friends. I don't have a network. In fact, the network I do have is probably grabbing the popcorn right now saying, let's watch this shit show. This is going to be good. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I just took the tool of the Enneagram into business really within seconds of talking with somebody. And I use it every day. Within seconds of talking to somebody, I knew who I was kind of dealing with and knew how to speak their language of what was in it for them. And also, like you know this, when people are seen, heard, and understood, anything's possible. Anything, that's right. Anything. And I knew that I had craved that my whole life, and I knew I wasn't alone in that. And so using that tool, immediately people felt seen, heard, and understood by me. And they're like, I have no idea what superpowers you have, but whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I'm craving that. They didn't even know what I was doing. And so within two years, believe it or not, I took 82 people because I had a small network, but I took 82 people and groomed them into some of the most powerful leaders. And those 82 people turned into 15,000, which produced my first million dollar income in 26 months. It was unbelievable. But I learned, you know, because I grew up in a way that was very, this is who I am, deal with it. Very stoic, Irish, Aries adult children of alcoholic Enneagram 8-ness of me. Like I have all those things that would make me very rigid and stoic and standoffish. And you know me, I'm the opposite of that actually. Well, you could probably look at some of those same qualities and those um, defining characteristics and traits that you just mentioned that are generalizations, but there's so much positive that can be said about that, right? Like (laughs) independence, charismatic, compelling. Those are also traits of, for example, of an area. So I totally get it. So, wow, that's phenomenal. So in 26 months through vulnerability, through transparency, through self-awareness, because you got radically honest and willing with yourself to make a change, even though you were scared, you were brave and courageous. I mean, getting sober in and of itself is the most courageous thing ever. Leaving your husband, being a single mom, leaving your high powered executive position. I mean, all of this is like, would be the traits of what you just described. That's what got you through and up to a point where that particular drive wasn't going to serve the next part of your life at least expressed the way that I was expressing it. Like you're absolutely right. Those things are very great qualities about me. They were important. They were very important and they are the pinnacle of like what I am today. It's just how I express them is so much more effective and impactful Mm -hmm. and for a greater good, not to keep Tracy safe necessarily. Right. Totally get it. So Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. And yet I still knew that there was more beyond that. And I knew that this was like just like the lily pad before the great leap. And I I knew that. 
However, I mean, when you have that tremendous amount of success and you're standing on stages in front of 20,000 people and they're screaming your name and crying and like the ego really liked that too. Yes. Even though I was serving a greater good, my ego was liking that. And I knew God had a different calling for me. Still do that, obviously. But I wasn't going to like slow down what I was doing as the money came rolling in and as the people were loving me and all the things, right? Like why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. Yet there was this internal tug, like this isn't all, this isn't all. I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to push you even farther. And, you know, again, just like everything in my life, it had to be forced upon me for it to happen. Wow. Isn't it so interesting? It's like, it almost just took on a different hue. But it was, it was the same need for approval, mm-hmm. for identity, for making your mark and knowing that you matter, knowing that you, yes, you can be seen, heard and valued or understood, but yet it, it still felt internally the same way that maybe you felt when you were a young girl, you know, and a young mom and married, right? And becoming an alcoholic. That's how I'm hearing the story. It's like, it looks like it's better on the outside, but internally it's still not quite right which is what you were being called into action. But what I'm hearing here also throughout your story, which is so beautiful, is that you've done something throughout the last few decades that I keep picking up on is is that you're willing to listen to the still small voice that you would call God, some would call love intelligence, guidance, whatever. You were able to hear that. Most people can't hear that. So how did you begin to get access to that knowing that's calling you more into who you truly are? The first time I heard it, I was nine years old. And I'll never forget it. It was a Sunday morning because, you know, growing up in a very toxic alcoholic home. And by then my mom was, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So she was involved in that. So like when people would say, thank God it's Friday, like I would have internal panic because I knew what Friday meant in our house, right? You know, it's like a free for all of alcohol and fighting and, you know, just horrible. But on, on Sunday mornings, it's like when the dust would settle. Mm. Because everybody was sleeping everything off. And there was one Sunday morning, I was nine years old and I got on my bike and this is back in Chicago and I got on my bike and it was pouring rain and I don't know why I was on it, but I was called to drive from church to church within a few miles. And I, there was like a Lutheran, a Catholic, a Christian. The last one I stopped at was a Baptist church. And, you know, if this happened today, like the authorities would be called because I walked in like a drowned rat, a nine-year-old child. Without a parent. No parent. Into a church, walking down, and all of a sudden it was like it parted. And this person, I, I don't even know if it was a man or a woman, looks at me and like, what? they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm not sure, but I know I'm supposed to be here. Oh, wow. And it was like at that moment, I like I said, all of this is going to matter for something all of this is going to matter for something. Just be still and know. Just be still and know. And clearly it took another three decades for me to act on it like hardcore. But at nine years old, I knew that this was all going to matter for something. And as I experienced sexual assaults twice after that and dealing with my own stuff, I always knew it was going to mean something and matter for something bigger than me. Wow. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Been able to tune into that still small voice and to be present enough to know that it's guiding us. See, I think that we're all gifted with that. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing that we're bestowed, but so few of us take the time to get quiet enough to hear it. And so I want to honor you for doing that because you've been able to help hundreds of thousands of lives at this point. So 26 months in, in the isogenics journey, mm-hmm. you now know that this is the lily pad that's going to take you to the next level. What does that chapter look like? Well, I 
was ignoring the chirping because this was really good. <laughs> this was really good. And, and I justified my ignoring of that because I'm serving people. Yeah, of course. And it was for like, it wasn't about my ego, even though my ego really liked it. My ego wanted to keep me in it, but my heart was like, but I'm helping people. I'm helping people. And I really, really was like, it was not the Tracy show. It was really about helping people. The money was great. Everything was great. And that's how I justified silencing the voice. And unfortunately for me, I needed another two by four upside the head and my own personal health took a dive. Mm. And from the 26 month mark on, it took another two years. My health went from perfect health at 43 years old to on my deathbed two years later and having no idea what was happening. And it took 14 specialists, none of which could figure it out. And it took me being almost completely like off the grid for me to be still enough to be present enough to hear the messaging. And I wish it didn't take that, but it's also been my most beautiful, greatest gift of understanding what real compassion is for people. Mm. Um, it was so humbling and terrifying, you know, writing my, my will over again, like in current time and planning my own funeral, looking at my kids, like I can't leave them. But if God, this is what it's meant to be, then, then, then make it fast is what I was saying. And it was very clear to me. I, I felt that like, I'm not done with you yet. You know, I figured out what it was and, you know, I remember going what into was it. So it was a number of things, but the thing that caused the avalanche of things was breast implants that I had swapped out. I mean, I had had probably a Epstein-Barr virus in remission yep. and that pulled it out of remission and the avalanche came and MS and Lyme disease and mold. Oh my gosh, Tracy. Yeah. Did yeah. you end up having an explant? Immediately. As soon as I put two and two together, yep. I immediately had it. So here was the thing though. Like I not only had an explant, but because I had swapped out old implants and put these ones in, I had a second set of capsules I knew were in there because I had my medical records and I knew they didn't remove the first set of like scar tissue, which holds a lot of that toxicity. So I remember telling my surgeon, I said, listen, I don't care how I look at the end of this. I don't care what I look like save my life. And in mm. order to do that, you're going to have to not only remove these and every bit of scar tissue around these ones, but there's a second set in there and who knows where they floated into my body. Wow. And sure enough, this, the other set was all the way up in my armpit filled with black mold. Mm. And she had to scrape my ribs to get all of it off. And I was in rough shape. And oh. You know, it took a whole nother year for me to remotely be okay, but I was alive. And as I sat hooked up to IVs every single day for 16 weeks, eight hours a day with nothing but time, it's when God said, this is what's next. And Mm. that's what I'm doing today, you know, is that work. Soul surgery work. Soul surgery work. Wow. You know, I know so many women personally, not just the ones that I read about all over social, but who've had explants in the last year, year and a half. And the really good surgeons that do this, they'll have a two-year wait list at this point. That's how in demand they are because so many women have these unexplained illnesses and viruses and they, you know, it's like they have the flu in the worst way all day, every day. And it's all because of the implants. So it's, it's, oh, Three years ago, nobody was talking about it. Nobody was talking about it three years ago. I know. You were ahead of this. Yeah, but the other thing that was like 
when I realized what it was, I remember sitting in her, in her office and I was like, oh crap, I'm going to have to talk about this publicly. Yep. And I don't want to, but I have to. But I also had the discernment to say, take care of yourself first. There will be a time such as that when it is time to talk about that because me, the, the overgiver in my past would make it all about helping people with it and not taking care of myself. And I knew that I needed to take my time to heal and, and also tell people like, I'm just here to give you information to be your best advocate. I can't be spending all my time talking you off ledges. Take this information and do what you need with it. Pass the word on, but I can't be your advocate. You have to be your advocate. Mm. And that was probably the most self-honoring thing I've ever done in my life is Mm. honoring my own boundaries and saying, I need to take care of me first, like really. And, you know, since then, thousands and thousands and thousands, like you said, of women have gone on to do it. I know personally, I've sent about a hundred to my surgeon out here in Arizona. and, And I'm so grateful that I was courageous enough to talk about it because I was really pissed off that nobody had been talking about this. Yeah. I'm very grateful that you did. You know, you mentioned that you were in the hospital for 16 weeks, hooked up to IVs, you know, every day, but you got the call yet again that you listened to yet again. What was that defining moment? What did you hear? Oh, I remember it. I was sitting in an ugly brown recliner and the wind was, it was a hot August, you know, and I was at the six week mark of this. And I was, I mean, I felt like death because before it gets better, it gets way worse. That's right. When when you're kind of like trying to get all this toxic stuff out of your body, it Mm -hmm. it felt worse than death Mm. in a lot of ways. And I remember sitting in that recliner and watching the tree below in the wind. And I remember hearing just this little whisper. It's like time to take the training wheels off. (sighs) I just got the chills. Mm -hmm. Time to take the training wheels off. Yeah. It's time. You're you're ready. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not ready. And it's like, it's time. It's time. And I didn't know what that looked like. And I didn't know like... That's an important part. This is what we talk about here all the time. This is the moment, the moment that you wake up and it's small, it's subtle, it's quiet, it's sacred. Everyone thinks it's going to be some big sort of announcement. It's, It's quiet. And then it's like, okay, but then what? And they try to figure out the how and all the ingredients, which is what I think stops so many people from actually taking the inspired action that they're being called into that has every bit of resources to back it up to its fullest and highest potential for the best of all, right? So that piece right there, you didn't know the how, but I really want to talk about this because that uncertainty, that unknown, where you had to take that leap of faith, the training wheels are off, you're going to fly. It's a scary moment. So how did you talk yourself into that? Or what did you say to yourself so that you could actually take the action that you knew you were being called to? And it was really hard because, you know, on, you know, it was almost like you're at that fork in the road, right? Yes. This is exactly it. This is the moment. Like I could just cry thinking Me about too. it because I remember it. Like, cause I was looking that way and there's that huge community waiting for me, cheering, like can't wait for me to come back. Cause I'd been off the grid for 10 months at that point and they're begging for me to come back. They can't wait for me to come back. They need me. We need your heart. We need your leadership back. Meanwhile, thousands and thousands and thousands of others with the glamour and the glory and the praise. And yes, oh my God, so seductive. It was. And yet my business was still growing, even though I was off. Like Mm -hmm. I was off. That told me like I did it the right way. Yes. And it would have been very easy to go back into that environment and just do what I always did. 
I had a great story now, right? Yeah. Like I'm the comeback kid. You could take point. it up like 10, 10 X. Oh, and I could have sold it and built it like just off that, like the resilience and, you know, all the things. Yes. And, and I mean, I did talk about like, this is the power of residual income y'all, because I've been not working now for 10 months and my business grew and all this medical stuff was out of pocket to the tune of $200,000 that thank God I had it. Mm-hmm. So I did talk about that, but I could not go back and do things how I had always done with mm-hmm. new perspective. With the calling that God gave me, the training wheels are off, the perspective now that I had, like that was great. And it still is. I still obviously do that. And it's different. And, you know, when people would ask me what my secret was, I mean, because to do what I did, you know, we've heard the story now for the last half hour or so, like to do what I did, people wanted to know the secret. Yeah what's the secret? There has to be some secret. I'm like, the secret is self-awareness and doing my own freaking work. That's right. And the training wheels coming off was, okay, now teach people how to do their work, how to become self-aware and how to communicate, not just with themselves, because that has to come first. They have to lead themselves first and then show them the ripple effect on how that affects everything in their home, in their love life, in their health, in their business. And so for the last, gosh, now, three years, it's been figuring out how to communicate that in a way that it's received and people aren't afraid of it. Because, you know, doing the deep dive scares people. They're like, just give me the strategy. Give me the strategy. The quick fix. Yes. Yes. I I want to bypass. I want to suppress and repress. I want to drink my cocktails and make all the money be a size two, but I don't want to do the deep work. No, just send me to Bali where all the butterflies are, please. And the unicorns and the rainbows. Yeah. Plus, okay, so the self-awareness mm-hmm. and knowing that you didn't know the how of how you wanted to wake more people up so that they would become more self-aware so they could experience more fulfillment, true definition of fulfillment, right? A peace and a harmony and a, reson- a resonance with our soul. What does that ultimately end up looking like? You have courses, masterminds, coaching. What does it look like? My goal is inevitably to get into organizations and businesses and really teach this because here's, I mean, this is the raw truth and you know this as well as I do. People will pay for this if it's going to affect their bottom line. That's right. Right. And I know this as well as anybody. Like to say like, I'm just going to work on myself. No, they're going to spend 25 grand on a mastermind that they think is going to bring a bottom line to them rather than the real work that they need to do to really make that really easy. Because to do what I did in 26 months, if I had not done this, that doesn't happen. So I've understood that going into businesses and organizations, I can do what I do. I can tell them what they want to hear and I'm going to give them exactly what they need, not only to change their bottom line, because it does clearly. It does. I've used it over and over again, not just in my business, but every person I touch and even better. Like how great is it to be able to change the bottom line and have fulfillment in your business and you actually bring it into your home and you're a better parent and you're Mm. a better wife or father or husband or whatever, dog mom, whatever. But you're, you're consistent in everything you do. You don't have to wear a hat for this and a hat for this and a mask for that and a mask for that. The ripple effect in all areas of your life equals fulfillment. And what you just said was so true. Like true success for me isn't the millions of dollars. It isn't the 26 months. It isn't even sobriety. Like that's amazing. All of that's really amazing. But true success for me is the ability to be 100% present 
Yes. In every single moment in front of me, whether it's with you right now. Yes. Nothing else matters right this second. Right. A half hour from now, it could be time with my son. But true success is the the ability to be completely present because that's how you don't miss the miracles. That's how you don't miss the whispers and the calling Mm -hmm. and the blessings. Because Mm -hmm. if you're in all of this chaos all the time, you're going to miss it all. And so I go into businesses and organizations. I work one-on-one with people. I go into masterminds, actually. I love going into masterminds and bringing this information at the front end of masterminds. So it like cracks people open when they get all the strategy and all that. They're like, well, shit. Okay. Like that strategy is not going to work unless I can lead myself. Unless I know who I am. Bingo. Now, when you say bringing this, bringing it, bringing this system. Are you referring to the Enneagram Enneagram work? Yes. I use that as a tool because you know, what's so funny about this is three years ago when I was like, okay, God, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Right. And I would try some really heavy stuff and I realized it wasn't sticking, even though I knew it wasn't about my skill set and what I could do, but it was scary for people. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I was doing something else to kind of bring, it was the same message, but different messaging. Right. And then I was like, well, wait a second, let's go back to the beginning. And it was in rehab. The very yeah. first thing I did was the Enneagram that made me willing to do the bigger work. Wow. Because it was simple. It was a map. It was a tool. And so I'm like, well, wait a second. This is a a non-scary thing. And because I'm so skilled in it, I've been studying it for eight years. And not only studying it, I've integrated it in family, in my health, and in businesses. Because the people out there teaching it and doing memes and stuff about it are usually a therapist or, you know, a pastor or some mom who really was interested in it. And I'm not knocking any of them, but none of them have built multi-million dollar organizations and helped other people do it too. And so my skill set in knowing it is not only do I teach it, but I I can teach you how to integrate it. And that's the difference between me and anybody else doing it. Beautiful. So in a nutshell, how do we learn more about this? I think you, do you have a download or something that I can share with my listeners? My podcast, if you go check out my podcast every Tuesday, I do Enneagram talk. That's a great place to start. I'm working on curriculum and tools that you know, because I don't want to just put anything out there. There's so much information out there. And I'm just going to let you know, a lot of it's just fluffy. Yes. Yeah. But it's, it's a process. It's not something you're going to hear. I mean, it's been an eight-year process for me. And every day I learn something more about myself mm. with that tool. It's a beautiful tool, but it's not the end-all be-all. It's not like, I know this, now I got this. It's like, no, I know this. Now I have to actually use the tool. That's exactly it. But that's the self-awareness piece that we've been talking about from the beginning. It's like so many people, for example, as you know, one of my mentors is Tony Robbins. They say the stats are, if he has 10,000 people in a room, for example, which is not my favorite events, I like the much smaller, more intimate events, but two to 5% max will actually integrate. Two to 5%, and it's closer to two, will actually integrate a breakthrough that they had that was life-changing, brought them to their knees, and then apply it into the lives to make some sort of a difference and impact in the world. And that blows me away. That means it's like less than 200 people out of 10,000. And that's probably generous. So not unlike this, but it's like everything in life, right? We need the people that need us. And then we need to be self-aware enough to be able to lead them to more self-awareness. It's like this beautiful full circle. What do you think mine is just based on a few conversations that we've had, but, but deep conversations? Because I'll go take it and we'll have to see. I'm not sure. What would you say 
is the thing that's most important to you? Authenticity. What do you do when you're under stress? How does someone answer that? What are some options? So, because I'm having an idea of what you might be. So under I don't stress. Eat. I don't overeat. I mean, I'll do that. I'll overeat sometimes, but could, not. Could you be a little with... melodramatic? Yeah. When... What are other options? Because I'll also distract and shut down. That's one of them. Will you get resentful? Sometimes. If you don't feel I like you've been appreciated. If what? you don't feel appreciated. No, I don't do the, I, I feel appreciated all the time. That's not my thing. Mine is I'll shut down or yeah, it can be a little melodramatic and I might cry and say, I'm alone. <laughs> okay. Okay. Would you say you struggle with back in your early twenties, not Michelle, who's done a lot of work today. Would you say that maybe envy was something that was there? A thousand percent. I wanted okay, to be a movie star. That's right. I think you're probably most, I would bet 99% you are a four, which is the individualist. They're very creative, artistic. You have that unique, authentic energy and you've done the work. So I would say you're probably a four, type four. Now, where can I take this assessment? There's tons of assessments online. And I'm just going to preface that and saying about 75% of the time they're inaccurate because it depends, like if you've had trauma that you haven't worked on, like you, you would probably take it and be spot on because you are so self-aware and you know what your internal motives are. Most people that are taking it, they're answering it how they wish they were. Of course. Or how they are in this situation versus this situation. So it's not that- Or actually who they think they are and they have no idea they're nothing like that. Or if you're like me and you know enough about it where like you want to manipulate it to turn out to be the person that you want to be. and so. Oh, that's awesome. Oh my God. Okay. So, but where do you recommend, I'm hoping that eventually you get your own assessment going. Yeah. I use the the one at the Enneagram Institute. And like I said, my, even my own assessment, they're only as honest as the person is answering them to the best of their capabilities. Right. So that's why I say like, take it and use it as a starting point and take maybe the first four, you know, just because that top score is a certain percentage is almost always never that. Mm. because that's usually either where you go in stress or maybe, you know, depending on who you are. So I say when you take the Enneagram Institute test, it's a long 144 question test. Take the top four and then really look at the core motives, not the behaviors, not the behaviors, but the core motives of of each of those four types. That's why I was asking you kind of like, what is your core like motivation? Um, Because you have like somebody who's well-rounded like you and me can take on all of them, which is beautiful, right? Like that's the goal to be able to take on all different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. But early on in my life, I was very clear. (laughs) It was very clear what I was. So when you get the results, take the top four and just be extremely honest with yourself and look at the motives of each of those and go from there. And there's no great, like there's not one type that's better than the the others. There's not one type that can excel in one area. They're all beautiful. Mm -hmm. They all have their own gifts. And the goal is to be able to embody the entire Enneagram. How many are there? 10? There's nine. Nine. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, It's amazing. Would you say in your opinion, in the quest that you're on to wake so many people up to self-awareness, is the Enneagram assessment, is that the entry point in your, in your opinion? It's a beautiful, it is one of, honestly, and I've done a lot of work, you know, I know it is the greatest 
tool you can use when used properly. And especially if you've got somebody who not only knows it, but can integrate it with you. It's an ongoing process. It's not like take the test, got this information. Because you know, as well as I do, information doesn't equal transformation. Mm -hmm. It's what you do with that information. And sometimes if you have the wrong information, that's almost worse than if you had none. Totally. So we're on information overload, but we are starving. This is important information. And what I love about it is, is like when I was able to look at it with compassion and love for myself Mm -hmm. and to understand that this is just a compass. It doesn't mean I'm an asshole. It doesn't mean I am that. It's where I go under stress. And this is just a compass. I'm not going to use this as a weapon on myself or other people anymore. And I'm not going to use it as a wall to say, this is just who I am or to keep goodness out. Like no more weapons, no more walls. This is just who I am. And I have this, the tools to know when I'm going off the cliff here. Now, once I see those things come up, instead of beating myself up and just flying over the edge, how about we just course correct a little bit and get back on our path? That's all it is. Beautiful. It's all it is. That's what self-awareness truly is. And so, so many people are walking around and they're wondering why they don't have the love of their life, Mm -hmm. you know, financial security or abundance and prosperity or great health. They don't realize that what's happening and internally is what's preventing them from being able to access all of who they truly are. So that self-awareness is so key and it is the gateway to all those things that you think you want, but you'll get more clarity. I always say, once you become self-aware and self-loving and self-honoring, setting boundaries and actually honoring them, that's the whole second part, right? Getting the information and actually integrating it like you're talking about here. That's the gateway that then will refine that compass. Like you think it's going to be A, B, and C. Like I thought I wanted to be a full-time Emmy award-winning television host on Extra. And then once I woke up, I was like, it's not at all what I want. No shade on that. Mm -hmm. I'm made for something totally different. I just didn't wake up to that until my fourth decade, you know? Mm -hmm. But when we wake up and we're willing enough to listen to that silent little whisper that I think is God speaking to us at all times, whatever someone wants to call Mm -hmm. it, that's the bravery. That's the courage. That's the self-awareness. We don't have to effort on that. The theme of this story is all around you listening to the call and then refining, pivoting, course correcting every step along the journey. And we'll continue to do that because we're human. Yeah. And the calling is always going to be calling. And sometimes that's right. And it, it, sometimes it changes. And, and, and I'm here to tell you, you know, new levels, new devils, and it that's gets right. scarier and scarier and scarier. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a huge freaking calling. And I know that he equips the called. So right. it's just a matter if you're going to be humble and brave enough to listen. And exactly. I will never ignore a calling ever again. Oh, sister, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I always say that too. Like the universe rewards the brave. God rewards the brave. All you have to do is take one little bite-sized piece of bravery, one little step of inspired action. You don't even know what the path is. Like your whole story today, right? It's so beautiful. It was darkness. It was unknown. It was scary. But you took one step and then God lit the path for the next few steps. And then you took another step. And then you thought it was this way. And then you thought it was this way. Then you were faced with a fork in the road and you just continue to listen and hone that listening so that you could receive the wisdom and the guidance that was always there. But, you know, we're only getting what we're getting at the levels to which our consciousness can receive. So the more that you become self-aware and the more that you become self-loving and honoring of all those lessons learned, then we get more, right? It's like you can't receive so much when you just don't know. Like you said earlier, it's like a two-ton you know, brick yet again. It's like, I think the universe delivers messages either in a feather 
brick or a truck, you know, and the truck for you is took you to the hospital. And it's like, you almost died. And to rehab and, you know. And to rehab, right, for a second time, third time. But yet you're getting it. And now it'll come with more grace, ease, and flow. Because you're truly aligned. And it is. And so it is. And so it is. And it's scary. Beautiful. Oh, it is scary. But yet everything that we want, truly want outside of our comfort zone and outside of the known reality. Oh my gosh, for sure. And you know, as I open myself up to the callings and it's not all business callings. Let me tell oh, you. I got it. There's Aren't like you open yourself up to love right now? Yeah, I'm opening myself up to that and that, my friends. I have been single since I got out of rehab. Like I have not been on one date intentionally since then. And so for me to say, okay, I feel this coming and boom, there it is. Scary. And I'm so proud of myself because God does reward the brave. and. I'm fully capable of handling whatever this looks like. Yes. If it goes one way, it goes the other way. I'm okay no matter what, because my worth isn't tied to it. I'm open to it because I know I deserve love and deserve partnership and deserve a life with somebody. Like that's great. And if this is that, great. And if it's not, great. It really, really is. Because I'm going to, either way, I'm going to learn a hell of a lot about myself. And every time I learn about myself, great things happen. So it's true. And you know, a good friend of mine, Dr. John Amaral, he was recently featured on on Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop series. And he's a quantum physicist, chiropractor too. So many people, he's a good friend. And he was on this podcast and we were talking about intimacy and relationship. And he's been married to the love of his life for nearly 30 years. They met in chiropractic school. And he said, Relationships seem so scary because true love and true intimacy is all uncertain. So everything else that we have in life, our business, sometimes our health or our relationships with our friends and family, where there's no intimacy, that's more certain. It's more known. But when you step into the realm of uncertainty, that's where the magic is. And that's why it feels so scary because like we're opening ourselves up and we're completely vulnerable in the unknown. So it's like three tiers of, of what could be fear but really what it is, is excitement to grow, to learn, to, to embrace all that we want that we haven't yet had. And so if success leaves clues, then everything that you're doing, my friend, I mean, you know it anyway, but I'll just say it because I honor you so much. You're on the right path because you just keep saying yes to what scares the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. You keep saying yes to the unknown. You keep saying yes to the call. And it's brought you to more glory and glory and glory that, by the way, has nothing to do with you. And now you know that for sure. You're on a mission to serve and to give, and it has nothing to do with you. A hundred percent. And like, that's crazy exciting. And <laughs> ah, <laughs> and I love it. Like, right? There you go. There's nothing that lights us up more than a little bit of fear and excitement. Oh my gosh. And you know, it's funny because I was talking to my good friend, a mutual friend of ours. And when she met me, she's like, God, like you're so like not throwing down any sexual energy at all. I'm like, oh, I have it, I think. And sure enough, I was like, God, I hope I still do. Cause I know like back in the day I had game, but let's see if I have it now. And you know, it's so funny when you open yourself up to what's possible. Like I still have game, but it's totally an authentic game. Like it's like, this is like me with yes. the filter, like this is me, all of me, like, and this is what scares me. And this is what excites me. And this is what I love. And this is what I don't like. And, and it's so great. I've never been, you know, cause growing up the way I did, 
I had to be whatever dad wanted me to be. Mm. And I don't have to do that today. You don't and, have I, to do that. and I don't have to do that with anybody today. No. Right? You get to be who you're being called to be. Every single day. And tomorrow that could be different too. It will be different. It's going yeah. to be different in an hour. That's what's so beautiful about being a human. I was saying earlier that I do as many updates on myself. Like I'm Tracy 6.0, 7.0. Like I do as many updates as Apple does on their, you know, <laughs> software. I'm like, every day you have an update. Okay, great. Me too. Well, you know, but I heard recently someone say this. It was Panash Desai, one of my mm-hmm. spiritual mentors. And he said, you know what transformation is? It's like, huh, I'm going to hear it from Panash Desai. And he's like, noticing something that's there that you didn't notice was there before. That's transformation. And I'm like, that's so oh my God. So being a junkie for personal growth, right? And spiritual development, we make it be such a big deal. But to your point, no, it's like a software update on the Apple phone, on the iPhone. It's like, oh, you just see that that's there. That's transformation. It's no longer there. And how many times do we ignore the software update? We're like, well, do it later. Do it later. How many times so do we do true. that to ourselves? So true. How many times do I say, yeah, I'll get to my update later. No, never. I have been ignoring that little thing on my computer for at least four weeks. No, tonight. No, no, no. Tomorrow night. No, no, no. Tomorrow night. (laughs) But, um, oh, it's so true. Um, one final question before we wrap, I ask all my guests the same, the same question, because it's the title of the show, which fire and soul. So fire and soul, in case you don't know, it's inspired action from an awakened soul. It's truly you are the, the embodiment of, of, of the types of guests that I only bring on. I don't bring on anyone else that doesn't have one of these massive breakthroughs. And now they're living for the good of all. But I am curious, how would you, how do you experience being an awakened soul? You know, I got to say, no matter how much uncertainty is going on in my life and how scared I am, depending on what's happening, to live awakened knowing that I have the tools, I have the ability to be present. I have my health, thank goodness, today. Yes, thank God. And just being present in every moment and not missing the miracles and, you know, knowing that I can pivot at any time. And it pisses me off when the pivots come a lot because I'm so present. Because it's like, okay, you're messing with my plan here. You know, (laughs) we have our own plan of how things are going to go. And the GPS is saying this way. And all of a sudden it's like detour, 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 detour. But living awakened means allowing the shifts to come. Like I see where the vision is. Like I know where the vision is. I see it very clearly. The thing is, is we have to be open to whatever path it takes to get there. And it's, it's kind of like if you're climbing a mountain, you know, out here in Arizona, I remember the first time I looked up at a mountain and I was like, I can't wait to get up there. And boy, you just see yourself there. But what you don't realize when you embark on that journey is all the twists and turns and climbs and dips and all the things that it takes to get there. Mm. And just going, being awakened means Mm. knowing that that's coming and you can't predict the journey. I know how this all ends. I know what God's plan is for me. I really, really do. I see that because I'm so present and I saw the calling and I've never, it's never been wrong. But Mm. how, how I get, how I get there isn't how Tracy's brain goes. And so Mm. surrendering to the journey is where it's all at. And you'll realize we've always heard there's joy in the journey. And I've just embraced and surrendered to that. And boy, you never miss a miracle when you do that. So good. Right? Yeah. We let the how become the wow, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's good. That is good. I am so grateful that we got to have this time together because... 
You're right. I could see the glory. It's so easy to see the glory on all over social media or the way that people talk about you or hearing you on others' podcasts um, or your own podcasts, mm-hmm. but getting to hear the story, you know, and you taking us on this journey with you, with us so vulnerably, so authentically, and so presently, I just honor you from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of myself and my listeners, thank you for giving us your most precious commodity, your time, and for sharing so beautifully every part of your gorgeous story and helping us be inspired to not miss our miracles. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My absolute honor. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fire and Soul podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.